If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning, and then someone hands you a baby. I like you just the way you are. You're braver than you believe, and stronger than you seem, and smarter than you think. Parenting is a sacrifice, it's exhausting, it's expensive, at times it feels thankless, but eventually you die. Welcome to the Kid Doc Good Job Being the Mom podcast, the podcast dedicated to helping mothers and fathers through supporting, enabling, and empowering them in their amazing role as parents. Hi, Dad. Hey, Em. How are you? Doing great. How are you today? Good. Good. <laughs> I uh, have a quick question for you before we dive into your favorite visit. The okay. question is, where is your favorite place to ski? Well, I love any of the Ogden Valley resorts, but I think we spent the most time at Snow Basin, where it's the closest to our house, but also a special place in my heart for Nordic Valley, where all of you kids learned how to ski on a, on a smaller mountain. Mm-hmm, totally. Yeah. I remember feeling so grateful later in my life that you had taken those nights off of work to take me up to powder mountain. I'm in my pink jumpsuit going down <laughs> the mountain. I'm hearing a flurry of food references to make sure my form is great from watermelon to keep my weight forward to pizza to French fries. So it all worked out. <laughs> uh, all those great life lessons learned on the ski slopes. I love it. Oh, yeah. And and the relationships that we developed were invaluable. So those are some of my favorites with my brothers and and obviously you and mom. So it's pretty cool. Well, we, we've talked about the purposeful or tactical parenting and and knowing that we get to spend 5 to 15 minutes on a ski lift together that, you know, you'll always have your that time within each you know each other's space you're six feet apart and mm-hmm. uh those are those are very very good tactical parenting skills with finding ways to spend time together and that was a great one totally yeah yeah so let's jump into talking about your favorite visit which is the four-month checkup so why is this your favorite 
I think just because for the first time you get these little babies that smile at you so big, they get these full body smiles where they're just, they're, their arms raise up and their, their face lights up and they just, they just can't help but light up the whole room with their smiles. It's so yeah. fun. They've, they've been smiling That's for parents sweet. for about two months, but they're they start really smiling for me and really for what it's worth, they smile for anybody at four months. So, but I like the smile for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> That's great. So at this visit, what are the top, top questions that parents ask? So they, they talk about sometimes starting solid foods now versus later on. And a lot of them ask about, can I start sleep training a little bit early? Cool. So if the, if those topics don't come up, what are the top advice items that you give and share? We still talk a lot about helping them learn to sit up better with their developments. We talk about early food and how it can be safe but frustrating. And a lot of early safety items are things we'll cover uh, independent of what questions they ask. Cool. So why do parents ask about starting food at four months? Isn't six months typically a better time to start? It is. And the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends six months as a great age to start solid foods. But I think a lot of times they get a lot of pressure from others in their life. They they get input from, you know, parents, in-laws, social media, where they hear it's a good time to start. And so I call it safe but frustrating because a lot of times these kids are still tongue thrusting and pushing their food back out. So they're not developmentally ready to have solid foods yet. The the common developmental stage that we see with kids is they can sit up in a high chair, is when they can usually consistently swallow solid foods. But if someone's super eager to try and they have time, and I just don't want to saddle a busy mom with one more thing to do to try to put food in their mouth when the baby just keeps pushing it back out. But if someone wants to try, you know, mom, mother-in-law, hubby, home from work wants to help out, but I just don't want them to feel pressure that they're supposed to start solid foods at four months. Yeah. Yeah. I remember being, as the oldest, I remember kind of that introduction of the rice cereal and how right. it's so frustrating when the boys would like take the spoon and then just like spit it right back out. <laughs> so I totally can relate to that, even though I was pretty young. Yeah. Seared in my memory. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, in all fairness, I, I do have a range, you know, from about their forehead to their tummy where mm-hmm. you can get food and still be okay, where they've got food all over them. It's, it's important that I think that kids can explore their food, how it feels, how it tastes, you know, what it feels like on their, on their head. And they just want to play with it. And I think that's really important not to prevent that exploration. So mm-hmm. so it's okay to let them play with the food, smear the food. Um, this is why dogs love babies because food's always flying everywhere around the babies. And so it's, uh, but it's good to have that, that free exploration of food so that it doesn't become a barrier where they feel like food is kind of, uh, you know, a really stressful time. Yeah. So if parents decide that they do want to introduce food at this point, solid food, how should they go about doing it? I think that you have to take into account your busyness. And so what I say is just go one time daily. And then when that one time daily is going well, you can add in more times as it takes less time to feed your baby. Just go one food at a time. So you'll try, as you mentioned, rice cereal, but we'll talk more about that some more at six months, how we really can start with anything. And Mm -hmm. And so just, you know, try one thing when you've done that for, for a minute, you can try another thing 
And really, we don't have any restrictions like we used to have. We'll talk about that at six months, but we can still do eggs and nuts and seafood from an allergy perspective. But my only thing to stay away from for sure is honey, not for allergy reasons, but for botulism reasons. And we'll talk about that more later. Great. So before we leave nutrition, what about the vitamin D supplementing for breastfeeding babies? Yeah. So there's some good data that recently we were seeing that kids' vitamin D levels were getting excessively low and setting them up for potential for rickets, which you think about rickets and that's kind of like something back that pirates and had and scurvy and stuff like that. So, but it's, it's, I think that because we have become a lot more indoor society that we aren't getting outside enough. And so what normally was okay with the amount of vitamin D that breastfed kids got from the beginning of time that isn't enough that we're seeing low enough levels for exclusive, exclusively breastfed children. So it's a recommendation to get vitamin D. I would definitely recommend getting outside, getting that natural vitamin D through sun exposure on our skin. But but the data shows that it's low. And I think that even in Utah, you could check any adult or teenager or kid and everybody's low on vitamin D by the end of winter. So yeah. we, we really should all do some vitamin D supplementing through winter. But just so you know, that's one recommendation that is out there that babies who are exclusively breastfed should get vitamin D supplements. And I, I recommend just really any multivitamin drop along with iron just to cover your bases that you can get from any pharmacy. Great. Let's move to sleep. So parents are pretty worn thin at this point with due to lack of sleep. Can they let their baby cry to sleep at four months? You know, I get that question so often, but it really isn't time yet. These babies lack that sense of object permanence to know that when they are alone, they aren't alone forever. I think the, the equivalent to that would be that they're in there, they think, I'm alone, I'm going to die here. And then when you come back, they're so excited. And so so we're we're not ready yet to, to have them cry to sleep yet because they don't know that you're coming back. So it's more of a need mm-hmm. right now to, to have you come back and help them. Got it. So should they try to work on a sleep routine? You know, I would feed them really often during the day to get a little bit extra food than they need so they can store some some glycogen in their liver that they can make withdrawals on at night so they don't have to wake up frequently during the night from a physiologic perspective because mm-hmm. their blood sugar is low. So so you can you can work on that and see. And that's my best recommendation to help with night times is that if you feed the child about every two hours from start to start, then they're not living, you know, hunger to hunger, paycheck to paycheck. They're, they're doing some saving. And that allows them to 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 take that sugar out at night from your liver and sleep better. So it's not to be selfish, but it really does uh, make a difference in terms of the baby needing to wake up at night. And, and you can try a bedtime routine. So if it resonates naturally with the baby, where they have a set sleep time, good sleep hygiene, and they go to sleep well, but I just I just wouldn't force it. I wouldn't force it. And just as an aside, while we're talking about sleep, I'm still back to sleep, still on their back to sleep, and then a pacifier can be helpful as well. Great. So what safety recommendations do you give at the four-month mark? You know, it's interesting. You go from these, these babies that can't move very well to them starting to roll a little bit and move a little bit and shimmy a little bit. And so they start to roll off of things between now and six months, beds, couches, changing tables. So just make sure that they are never left alone on an elevated surface by themselves. 
And, and that will ensure that they don't have any falls that we can at least prevent. Um, you're not yeah. going to be perfect and and they fall, you know, we can help out. And, and I think it, it hurts moms and dads more in their heart than it actually hurts the baby. Um, yeah. I think they sometimes do this little calculation where they figure, okay, the baby's like, you know, you know, 18 inches, two feet tall, whatever, as they grow and they fell one foot. So that's like me being six feet tall, falling three feet. So it's a long way, but it's still just like they fell one foot and yeah. they're, they're almost always just fine and okay, but we're happy to check them out when people are worried and, and they're oftentimes worried. So um happy to do that. So, and then a couple of other safety things are be careful with hot liquids. I think we don't appreciate what happens when we're holding a baby and trying to do things, but I frequently get some some risk and some complications where they had something spilled from a, a cup of something hot or from a pan they were working with. And so just being really careful with hot things when you're trying to manage your baby. And and then also lastly, in, in the bed, while there's some really cute stuffed animals and bedding items, you still want to avoid any soft bedding items and soft toys in bed. So what about baby walkers? Do people still have those in their homes? Yeah, kind of old school. But it's a great question because while we recommend using extra saucers and bumbos to help these little babies practice sitting up and working on their torso balance and their head balance, we stay away yeah. from yeah we stay away from walkers because there literally is a risk of flying off the stairs and having head trauma. Um, mm-hmm. So just yeah, they're they're pretty old school and, and we don't see them around very much. And sometimes somebody says, "Well, I've got no stairs," and you know that's that kind of prevents the big damage from happening, but we just in general blanket say no, no walkers. Got it. What are other developmental items that we should be thinking about this stage? Yeah. Get some light chunky toys that babies can grab in their hands that they can practice transferring back and forth from hand to hand. That, that's the next developmental fine motor skill. And then just keep plenty of opportunities for tummy time and physical activity. Great. So as we wrap up the episode, should we talk a little bit about Tylenol and Motrin before we get these babies too far along? Yeah, definitely. As you get a few months old, at some point in time, you might run into winter and cold and flu season. So I talk about the acetaminophen dosing and Tylenol dosing and then ibuprofen and Motrin are the different products. And it's basically one milliliter for every five pounds. So one ml for every five pounds. And I, I always recommend don't buy the infant strength anything because the Tylenol children's strength and the Tylenol infant strength is the exact same thing in the, the bottle. And so when they when they put that on the shelf, you pay the same price for both, but you're getting this small bottle of infant Tylenol versus a bigger, bigger bottle of children's Tylenol for the same price. And I think that someone probably got some great Christmas bonus from putting the same thing in a smaller bottle and charging the same price. And they're like, yeah, "Yeah, Christmas bonus for you. Great job. And they're probably taking advantage of tired parents going to the pharmacy and grabbing, well, my baby's an infant, so they need infant Tylenol and they buy that. And they're paying a lot more per milliliter Mm -hmm. than just buying children's. And then infant ibuprofen does have a different concentration, which complicates things. But if you just stick with the children's strength, then the dose will be that about one milliliter for every five pounds and just keep it simple. Great. Any final items? Yeah, I mean, just make sure you're spending time with your spouse and that the, the, you're getting some time for yourself and that uh, and other children. One thing I, I probably haven't mentioned, but, you know, when people ask how they can help, then 
have them take the other kids and go to the park and those kind of things. And so that way you can take care of yourself and spend time with the baby and, and, uh, and the other kids don't feel neglected because they're spending time with a grandparent or spouse. And so just but encourage that care, you know, the children and care for yourself. And then we uh, just recommend the follow-up at six months of age. All right. Well, we'll talk to you then. Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Thanks, Sam. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to getting together again next time. Kid Doc is available wherever you find your other favorite podcast. If you enjoyed what we shared with you today, be sure to like us and subscribe to help other listeners like you find us. On our website, we will add supporting materials and other helpful items from this and other podcasts. The opinions expressed in this podcast, while carefully considered, are ultimately the opinions of the presenters and not necessarily of our employers or of any other organizations with which we are affiliated. And remember, the content of this podcast shouldn't be seen as a substitute for seeking actual personal medical care. If this is an emergency, hang up and dial 911. Otherwise, schedule a visit with a caring doctor to help with your concerns.